Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from multiple locations in the San Gabriel Valley of sunny Southern California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead people to Jesus, a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you and opens your heart and inspires you to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Hey, Real Life Church, it's Jim Miller. Good to be with you again here in the church office for the first time. Uh, we are continuing in our series of teachings in the letter of 1 John, which if you were here last week, if you tuned in at reallife.la, you know 1 John is about having Christ at the center of our lives, having Jesus at the heart of all that we do. So that like an orange that produces orange juice when you squeeze it, if a Christian goes through the trials of life, when we're squeezed, what comes out of us is the love of Christ. So we're going to continue reading in our series on 1 John today. And as we do, you're going to see John really wants us to realize how important it is that we have Christ in all we do and that we are always walking in Christ. I remember a conversation I had with a young couple when I was doing their uh, wedding preparation. And they, they were new to the church. They were kind of on the edge of faith. And I, I remember having a conversation with a young man and saying, uh, talking about how important it was to have Jesus in your marriage and in your relationships. And I asked him, do, do you feel like you, you want to have more of Jesus in, in your life and in your relationships? And he replied, not right now. It was like I asked him, do you want to have something meaningful and important and life-changing and healing? And he said, no, I'd rather chase money for a while. He, he just didn't see the, the value of having Christ at the center. And I knew that was going to shape the way his marriage looked and the way his life looked. The, the great Christian writer G.K. Chesterton a hundred years ago said that Christianity, the ideal of Christianity, has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried. The, the, the state that we're in is that Jesus is available to us to step into our life and have this kingdom-moving kingdom impact in our lives, and we often just put him on the back burner. Jesus himself said that's how it would be. He told us that's how things were going to go. He compared it to uh, builders that are building a, uh, a building, and the, the most important stone that these stonemasons would use when constructing a building was called the cornerstone, because you put the cornerstone right in the corner of the building, and if it was a perfect 90-degree angle, it would determine how the walls took shape. The cornerstone determined where the building would actually be, which, which direction the building would face. So the cornerstone was the most important stone. And Jesus said, imagine if the builders take a stone and throw it away, and then later on, somebody else finds it and realizes it's perfect, and it becomes the cornerstone. How ironic that it was at first thrown away. And he uses that as an analogy for himself. He, the most important part of life, that which frames all the rest of life, the cornerstone, is so often rejected by us, his creation. And yet, he's become the cornerstone of life, the cornerstone of the universe. He is the thing around which everything else is framed. And you know, the, uh, the Bible refers to Jesus in his, his working profession before he began his ministry 
as we call it a, him a carpenter, but the, the Greek word is tecton. And a tecton was actually a little bit more than a carpenter. It was someone who built and constructed things, sometimes with wood, but also sometimes with stone. And I like thinking of Jesus as somebody who was a stonemason as well as a carpenter, somebody who knew how to build buildings of stone so that when he, when he teaches this, it's so much more rich and personal. He was the stonemason who laid the foundations of the earth. And then he walked the earth as a builder. And so many people would reject him. His own people would crucify him. And yet, he that was rejected has become the cornerstone of all the world and all of life. So if you sit on the edge of faith, if you're there today thinking, well, maybe Jesus, maybe not. Maybe church is a drop-in, a now-and-then kind of thing. Be careful that you don't reject the cornerstone of all of life. And that's the message of 1 John. Have Jesus at the center. Don't put him to the side. Don't make him second best. You'll see that as we look at the text today. Take a minute and pray with me. Jesus, we thank you that you have called us uh, to follow you that you've called us to place you at the center of our lives and that you give us the freedom through your cross to do that, to put you first. Jesus, we invite you in. Come into our hearts and into our lives. Open our minds to your word and take that place in the center of our lives where you belong. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Let's continue on uh, in 1 John. Again, as I said last week, and you can go back and, and listen to last week if you haven't already because I laid out the, uh, the series last week. We're going to read right through this book from beginning to end, one verse at a time. And today we're in 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. So open in your Bibles, turn them on, uh, or follow along. I think it might be on the bottom of the screen as I talk. High tech. Uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. All right, so if you're watching out there in, in internet land, say the words made complete. Write the words made complete in the chat. Made complete is an important term here, because the Greek word for complete is telos. And telos is like the final production of something that, that's the way it's supposed to finally look in the end after a, after a long process of maturing. The, the telos of an acorn is an oak tree. It's the thing it becomes when it is fully developed, fully mature, the way it was designed to be. The telos of a block of marble in the hands of a sculptor is the final sculpture that it becomes, the final beautiful artwork that it becomes. And, and what John says is if anybody obeys Jesus' word, God's love reaches its full maturity in us. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one that you've had since the beginning. He's referring to the Hebrew scriptures. This old command is the message you've heard. Yet I am writing you a new command, 
its truth is seen in him, in Jesus, and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. This, this old command, new command distinction of John's, is John's way of saying the Hebrew scriptures and the message that we've carried all along, the faith that we Jewish people have held, taught us the truth. So this isn't a new command. It's, it's the same story again. The, the God of the Hebrew scriptures and the God of the Christian scriptures are the same God. Remember a few weeks ago, if you were listening, we talked about an, an early church heretic, a false teacher named Marcion who tried to say the Old Testament God and the New Testament God are different gods, and he wanted to just throw away the Old Testament. But that's not, that's not correct. What happens is that our relationship to God's law changes at the cross. When you believe that Jesus died for you on the cross, you're absolutely forgiven and set free from the law. So John's saying the, the message is the same. The God of love was the God of the Hebrew scriptures and of, and of the Christian scriptures. I'm not writing you a new command, but it is new in the sense that we've seen God's love fully in Christ, Jesus, who is God and man. We see God's love more clearly and better there than anywhere else. Jesus would teach this himself. He says in Matthew 22, the heart of all the Hebrew scriptures is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, right? The, he, in a word, summarizes the Hebrew scriptures. It's not a new command. It's an old one, but it comes to light in a new way in Christ. Okay, verse 9. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. Again, remember, John likes to speak in, in cosmic terms and these, these grandiose big terms about the, the beginning of the world and the end of the world. And he, he casts everything in extremes. And so you're either walking in the darkness or in the light. There is no in-between. And you're either headed ultimately towards darkness or towards the light. Walk towards the light, he said embrace Jesus and have Jesus at the heart of all you do. That's how to walk in the light and towards the light. Young adults, as you think about your dating lives, do you want to be coupled to someone who loves the Jesus that you love or who doesn't care about him? Because every relationship we're in has the power to pull us closer to Jesus or further away. And somebody who's not walking with Jesus can't help you grow closer to Jesus. Put Jesus at the heart of everything you do, because everything is headed in the direction of either the light or the darkness. Okay, that's our passage for today. Now, let's, let's break this down a little bit. Um, first of all, you may notice, if you're new to John's writings, that he has a particular style, and it's different than some of the other writers in the New Testament. If you read the Apostle Paul, Paul tries to be very logical. He tries to follow arguments. He's sequential. He wants to walk us from one thought to another. But that's not how John writes. John writes in this meditative, reflective, repetitive process. And when you first read it, you may think, why does he keep repeating himself? Is he, does he forget that he already said this? This is kind of boring. Don't walk in the darkness. Walk in the light. If you're in the light, that's good. But in the darkness, that's bad. So walk in the light, not in the darkness. It feels, feels like he's repeating himself. But that's not what's going on. John is, John is a bit of a philosopher. 
And he likes to savor all the nuances of an idea. And so when he repeats an idea, he's thinking about it in different ways. Walk in the light. Have his light in you. Uh, walk in his light and watch how that illumines what you do. If his light is in you, it illumines your eyes so that you can see. He goes back to the same words and same images to reflect on different facets of them. It's kind of like an experience I had when I was, uh, I took part in a coffee roasting uh, competition where I got to be a judge in the competition. I, I've been roasting my own coffee for a, a few years. And I'm just absolutely snooty about it. And, uh, and I got to take part being a judge in a great big roasting competition. I had never done this before. And the judges get around to, to taste these different coffees to determine who made the best roast. And they do something kind of funny. It's a little bit weird and kind of obnoxious. They prepare these cups of coffee in a very specific way, at a very specific temperature, at a very specific grind. And, and then we all have a cup of this coffee and we're gonna go around and taste it. But this is what they do, this is how they taste it. We're all standing around in a circle, all these judges, and we have the same type of coffee in our hands. And you know, it's, it's coffee, it's good coffee, but it's coffee. The woman beside me goes first. And what she does is she takes a spoon and she slurps the coffee. She doesn't sip the coffee. She slurps the coffee. And I mean, imagine a vacuum with the power to suck up an entire lake. That is the noise that comes out of this woman's mouth as she does it. She's this tiny little sweet woman from, I think, Santa Cruz who's got a cafe up there and she's down here testing coffee. She takes this spoonful of coffee and she goes, and it's everything I can do not to drop my cup of coffee and burst out laughing. This giant loud slurping noise and everybody else in the room looks totally serious. And I think to myself, wow, they've got a great poker face because that was bizarre. And then she analyzes the coffee. She goes, I taste nuances of pomegranate and hints of cashew and a little semi-sweet chocolate. And I'm thinking, are you drinking the same thing I am? This is just coffee. Then the next person does it and they do exactly the same thing. This loud, obnoxious slurping noise. It sounds like a, a whirlpool in the ocean big enough to pull all the oxygen out of the air. This and everybody just looks at him because that's how you're supposed to do it. And they explain to me you slurp the coffee because it helps you taste all the palate of flavors that are in the coffee. And he starts to analyze it. I taste a little lavender and there's a honey tint at the back of your tongue. All these very subtle flavors they pick up by savoring it. And they do this over and over and over again to try to pick up every flavor in the whole palate. Well, that's what John does when he talks to us about Jesus. When he talks about being in the light, he wants to savor that idea and go back to that idea and taste it again and say, here's another nuance I didn't get the first time. Here's another, another insight I didn't see the first time. And that's why John writes the way he does. And you'll see as we go through this letter, you may feel at, at points like he's repeating himself. He's not. He's highlighting something slightly different than what he highlighted the last time. And that makes our, our reading of the text more rich and our understanding of the faith more rich. So that's, that's what John is doing here. Okay, so there's two things, two ideas in this text that he's slurping on. There's two ideas that he goes back and repeats 
over and over and over again. And you, you probably picked up on them. Let, let me read, read it again and, and focus on, on his use of the word command and how often he repeats the word uh, command. So this is how we know we're in him. Whoever claims to live in Christ must live as, uh, oh, no, no, let's go back to the beginning. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. One, whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, two, is a liar and the truth is not in that person. But, but if anybody obeys his word, which is just another way of saying obeying his command, loves God and God's love is made complete in them. This is how we know him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as he did. I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one. The old command is the message you've already heard. He repeats the word command over and over and over again. So if we're reading this text, our, our natural inclination ought to be to say, what is the command? What do I have to do? John clearly thinks that living life right, that being reconciled to God in some way involves obeying a command. But the whole message of the gospel is that we are not saved by good works. We're saved because Jesus died on the cross for us, and all we have to do is believe that. It's a free gift. So what is this command that John keeps talking about? Well, you have to go back and look at John's gospel. And in John's gospel, he gives us the interpretive lens by which we can read this passage. In John chapter 15, verse 9, he says, and it'll sound very similar to the letter of 1 John, he says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that, my, and that your joy may be complete. Say made complete, right? Made complete in the chat. Now the word here isn't telos. It's the one we talked about last week. It's plerao. And, and this is like... I, I've been to the best restaurant I've ever been to, and I will not be happy until my best friend goes and enjoys it the way I have. Play ra'o, to be, to be fulfilled. My joy will be complete when it gets shared with someone else. I, I write this so that your joy may be complete. And here it is, verse 12. This is the interpretive lens through which we can read all of John's talk about commands. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. It's not the Ten Commandments. It's not a series of duties. It's living in Christ's love. Go back and read that first text using this as the interpretive lens. We know that we've come to know him if we love one another the way he's loved us. Whoever says, I know him, but does not love other people the way he loves us is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone loves others the way he loves us, the love of God is truly made complete in them. Tell us. If you love other people the way that God has loved you, then your soul grows and matures into what it was designed to be. This isn't obedience to the law. This is growing according to our design, becoming the people that God made us to be, letting our souls be shaped into what they are supposed to become when they are fully mature. And this is John's vision for the church. This is the, uh, the, the design for our community that Jesus had from the beginning. 
that we would be a community so steeped in his love, so filled with his love, that it shapes our identity, that we as individuals and as a people are known as a community of love. The church is meant to be a giant social experiment in the world. What if there was a people that loved people radically and graciously, forgivingly and generously the way Jesus loved all of us? What would that community do to this, to this world? That's the picture that John is painting, and he gets it from Jesus. That's the, the picture that Jesus painted. What would the world look like if it had this community in it? that was just an experiment in love, with love at the center. This is the interpretive lens for this, this talk of commands. My command is this, love one another as I have loved you. Now, if that's the case, we, we probably wanna get into what does that mean? How do, I, how do I love the way that Jesus loved? What, what exactly is love? Because there are different pictures of love floating around in our culture today. Is he talking about uh, the liberal kind of love that came in the 1960s cultural revolution when free love was uh, all over the place? And by free love, they meant a promiscuity and unwanted pregnancies and abortion on demand, uh, sexually transmitted disease and broken relationships, because that was a kind of love that was talked about in the 1960s. Or are we talking about the kind of love that floats around in our culture today where everybody just kind of does whatever they want and you're not free to say anything about it because everybody can do whatever they want to. I mean, that's the way love is used today. Is that what it means? Or is it, or is it a, the conservative kind of love where you just rail on the culture for being sinful and broken? You just scream at the culture and point out everything they're doing wrong. That's not love. I've heard the average conservative talk uh, towards the culture, rail on the culture today. And you can tell from the anger in their voice, they're not motivated by love. So, so is that it? What, what kind of love are we talking about? Well, Jesus defines love in this passage. My command is this, that you love one another the way I have loved you. Love is not just a feeling or whatever we want to make it out to be. Love is anchored in the identity of the God who walked among us. And the more you know Jesus, the more you recognize love when you see it. I'll tell you what it looks like. I, I remember sitting in a cafe uh, years ago, and I'd walked into a cafe to read a book. And as an introvert, I did not want to have a conversation with anyone. And so I sat down in this busy cafe, and I liked the white noise around me, but I wasn't going to talk to anybody. So I sat down very clearly, pulled out a book, and was minding my own business. The cafe was full. There was not an empty table anywhere. And there was a line of people waiting to get in, which means they were going to have to get their coffee and leave. That's fine. First come, first serve. The early bird gets the table. And so I'm sitting there reading a book and minding my own business and ignoring the line. And a guy comes over and leans into the chair the empty chair across from me and says, is it okay if I sit here? And I think, oh, okay, sure. And I don't take my nose out of my book because I don't want to have a conversation. But as he sits down, I have this, this impression. Um, it's, it's stronger than imagination. It's like somebody whispered something in my ear, but without a voice. And 
I have this uh, two impressions just before he's even sat down. One is that he's dealing with uh, sexual orientation issues. And secondly, that he's dealing with addiction issues. And there's nothing about him that would have told me that. There was nothing about his self-presentation or his clothes or anything else. I just very strongly felt those two things as he sat down. Now, I wasn't going to talk about it because I wasn't there to do anything but read a book. But he sat down and he did what you do not do to an introvert with a book. He started talking and he talked and he talked and then he talked and then he talked some more. Maybe 20 or 30 minutes went by and he told me all about his life and he told me all about his struggles and he told me all about his suffering and it turned out he was dealing with issues of orientation and he was dealing with issues of addiction. It all just kind of came rolling out. And I sat there listening, thinking, and looking for a way to have a word in the conversation. And eventually when he paused to take a breath, and it took a long time for him to get there, I said, well, it's important to have a community around you that supports you when life is hard. I go to a church and they're good friends to me. Do you have a church that you belong to? And he said, well, I tried going to church one time. He said, I went to, and he named the church. And I knew the church. It was this great, big, very conservative mega church. And I thought, oh no, here's going to be the story about how he went to church and they judged him and they were mean to him and he's never going back. That's what he's going to say. I already know where this is going. He says, I, I went to this church and he named it and I knew the church and I thought, oh, this is, this is not going to go well. And he said to me, and they were the most loving people I have ever met. I, I know this church. They're, they're on the conservative traditional side of all the LGBTQ issues. This guy wouldn't have been a normal, normal fit at that church. And his review of the church was, they were the most loving people I had ever met. And that's what everybody should say when they walk away from the church. Because the, the, the love that Jesus calls us to, my, my command is this, love one another as I have loved you. His command to love is anchored in his love. It's anchored in his identity. It's not something we design. It's not something we simply feel. It's not something we choose for ourselves or make up. It's not the modern versions of liberality or conservatism that are either without boundaries or so bounded that they're constrictive. It's a love that's tied to the way we're made. You and I are acorns in this life, but we're supposed to grow towards becoming an oak tree. And we do that when we live in God's love. Uh, you and I are, are made not to be uh, factories producing work in this life. You and I are made not to be warriors fighting battles in this life. You and I are made not to be athletes winning medals in this life. You and I are made to be beings of love, designed to receive love and to dwell in love and to love others the way that Jesus loved us. And that's the first thing that John wants to, wants to slurp on. That's the first thing John wants to consider and go back to and, and reflect on over and over again that we would be so saturated in love that the church would become this radical social experiment, this community 
on, on the planet where when people walked away from us, the only thing they had to say was, I've never met people who loved like that. This is, um, this is, this is what it looks like. Um, developmental psychologists will talk about the fact that, that a child will have an experience as they are growing up that they need to have. Uh, where they realize that they can produce what, what psychologists refer to as gleam. We talk about a gleam in someone's eye. When they look at you and they're especially fond of you, they have a gleam in their eye. A child needs to come to a place where they realize they have the capacity to produce gleam in the eye of someone else. Where they realize that they are cherished by someone else. We could, we could translate this, this teaching of Jesus accurately by saying, this is my command, that you would cherish one another the way that I have cherished you. It, it's a kind of love that takes our design and makes it grow to maturity. It, it's a kind of love where when we have to speak truth in the world, sometimes we do it with a tear in our eye because truth is challenging. But it's the kind of love where when people walk away from the church, their only review should be, I've never met people who cherished me the way those people cherished me. Okay, that, that's his, his first uh, thing that he wants to savor, this idea that we are a community designed to live in a kind of love that the world doesn't know. Here's the second thing that, that John is slurping on in this text, the thing that he goes back to and savors and thinks about again and again. It's a tiny little word and he uses it in several different ways, but it's important. Look at how many times he uses the preposition in in this passage. Do you understand how many times he says something is in something else? And it's not just this passage, it's all the way through this letter, over and over again. Uh, if somebody doesn't love, the truth is not in them. Love is made complete in you. You are in him because you live in him. The truth is in you. Don't walk in the darkness, but walk in the light. He does this over and over and over again. He's constantly focused on what happens when you take something into yourself and how it shapes you. What, what, he's, what he's imagining is that our souls are like a, a, a recipe. And think about how ingredients in a recipe change the recipe. They're not something peripheral to it. They actually change the identity of a recipe. If you take the chocolate chips out of chocolate chip cookies, you don't have chocolate chip cookies anymore. You have a lesser kind of cookie, right? So, so what Jesus wants us to realize is that God's love in us is not just an idea we think about. It's not just a behavior we carry on. It is a an identity-forming ingredient that makes us who we are. And when we take Jesus' love into us, it's like blending it into the recipe for our souls so that over the long baking process of our lives, over the long baking process of walking in Him, we become the, the culinary masterpiece that we were designed to be. Not just a mix of ingredients anymore, but the fully mature telos, the thing we were made to be in the end. Take Jesus into you. Take his truth into you. Take his light into you and live in his light. Live in his truth. Live in his love. It's a kind of a, a blending of things that can then no longer be separated because his love is in us and we are in his love. And we have become the things that we are made to be. When we're young and we're first learning how to love, we're just acorns. We're, we're just a little nuts. 
But when we grow in Christ's love, we become an oak tree. We become the things that we were designed to be. And when people walk into the presence of a community, a forest of people who have grown in maturity, they walk away going, wow, I've never been cherished that way before. So this is why John writes this letter. I want you to have this experience, he's saying to us. I, I, I want you, my joy is not going to be complete until you do. I'm not going to be happy until you savor what I have savored. Think about what that looks like. Uh, imagine what that looks like in the season to come. Because as a pastor, I'm a little concerned about 2024. Uh, we came through a pandemic. We came through political turmoil. We're about to head into more political turmoil. And I said last week, you know, when Christians are squeezed by the world, what ought to come out is the love of Christ. Like when you squeeze an orange, what comes out is orange juice. But that's not what we saw a few years ago. What we saw is when you squeeze Christians, what came out is a lot of anger, anxiety, and fear. What if next year it was different? I mean, picture what the Christian community could be if when everyone else is filled with anxiety and anger and fear, the church is still oozing with Christ's love. I could tell you in a simple list what that might look like, but the truth is, the more you spend time with Jesus, the more you're just going to recognize it when you see it. You, you know what it looks like. I, when you go on social media, don't insult the people you disagree with, right? Be especially gracious, generous, and nice to that person in the office who annoys you the most. When, when somebody does you wrong, don't go around gossiping about them. No matter how good it feels, no matter how much they deserve it, don't get them back by going and talking smack about them to everybody else. Feed the poor. Care for people who are in the most need. We have those uh, blessing cards that we give out at our church if you're ever here on a Sunday in which we list the names of people we're trying to care for. And we just seek to, to bless them, to be generous to them, to give them good gifts, to love them and to point them towards Jesus. You can go to the New Testament, and it'll give you a whole list of different ways to do this, different expressions of this. But the truth is, the more you know Jesus, the more you'll just recognize it when you see it. This is what Jesus is trying to do. This is what John is trying to do. I want to create a, a social experiment where there is this body of people who have taken my love so into them that it has become an ingredient in the recipe of their identity, and over the long baking process of their lives has finally become this culinary masterpiece. What if, in this coming year, we tried that? What if we became the community that so loved people that they could not resist the church? What if the church became this body of love so radical that it shook the foundations of society? What if? This year, we became exactly what the scriptures said we're supposed to be, the body of Christ. Let's give it a try. Amen. Pray with me. Jesus, thank you for the vision that you've given us through John of lives lived in love and a community that is transformed by your love and in turn transforms the world. 
Jesus, call us back to that vision on days where we're exhausted, on days where we're stressed, on days where we're mad. Call us back to that vision. Give us time and space to rest in your love. And then may your love flow through us to a world that so desperately needs you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. God bless you. Go be the church. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.